right. Welcome to episode number 143 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. Uh, we're recording on January the 2nd, 2022. Uh, my name is Eric, I'm the host of the show, based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. Uh, as a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, started a small preparedness company to help people get uh, better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall safety nerd. I'm Jeff. I'm based in Central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. I'm Alex, uh, Eastern Ontario, a former college professor who gave up that life for uh, carpentry and homesteading. And if you want to help support the show, keep the uh, Canadian Prepper podcast on the air. You can buy some swag. We've got uh, the Canadian Prepper podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch available at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, all the proceeds help keep lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good, bad, or if you want to know when Ian may uh, show up again. Uh, or if there's just a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Yeah, I think we're going to have to say uh, CGN three times backwards. <laughs> uh, so we've got some uh, grazing content for you in this episode. Uh, we're going to start off with some uh, preparedness news. We're going to update you on what we've done lately for our preps. And then we're going to get a, going to get into the main topic of animal husbandry. It's a very specific term that only Ian could have come up with, and then it is. he didn't yeah. bother showing up. Yeah, he just ditched us. As per usual, we're getting used to it. <laughs> you got a news article, Alan? Oh, I got lots of, new lots of things in the news. Um, Ian put a bunch of stuff in here, but because he can't be bothered, I'm not going to bother reading it. Uh, <laughs> um in Montreal, uh, one arrested and 57 ticketed for protesting Quebec's COVID curfews. Um, so they're uh, they're cracking down on that and changing the rules. Uh, but I also put an article in uh, from CTV summarizing all the new laws that are coming into effect across the country this year. So there are um, some there's some federal legislation, some provincial and territorial legislation. Um, single use plastics is one of them. Um, including checkout bags, cutlery, and straws. So that will be uh, uh, coming into effect some point this year, allegedly. And if you trust the government to do what they say they're going to, who knows? Um, some, you know, some provincial things like um, milk container refunds, paid sick leave for a few places, Alberta gets a new area code, uh, anyways, I thought it was kind of interesting just to kind of see what's uh, what's going on across the country. Some things are where kind of some uh, some government's priorities are. Um, I thought one of the really interesting ones was that Newfoundland and Labrador is putting a twenty cent per liter tax on drinks with added sugars. So they're making a yeah, they're they're putting a pop tax, like a tax on pop, which will either generate a lot of revenue for the province or make a lot of people a lot. Uh, um, a lot healthier. So, um, I don't generally support tax. I don't generally support specifically sin tax. Um, I think that's generally not a great way to do things. But if, uh, if if it encourages people to not, if that's the if that's the catalyst for people to not drink pop, then I think that's a good thing. Now the question is, can they take that tax off the beer then? 
That'd be good. Right. A, com- a, a government's <laughs> going to reduce tax on something? Just change it. Just change it from the beer to the pop. Problem solved, right? Yeah, that's not how things work. Uh, I, I was wishful thinking. It's a new year. I was hoping they'd turn over a new leaf. I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's a really a- good point here that masks are a single-use item, and they're both and they're made of plastic. This is true. So that's uh, there you go. That's interesting. Yeah. I, that's a, that's a great point for you. That is a good point. Uh, I've got an, an article here. Uh, yes, it's from the CBC. Don't throw all the hate at me, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's titled uh, Bay St. George Among Communities Tapped for Disaster Preparedness Research Project. Uh, so it looks like uh, there's going to be some research into uh, how different uh, people react to disaster type of scenarios. Uh, they're doing some studies uh, using that community as well as uh, Richmond, BC, Thompson, Manitoba, and Ottawa. Um, so kind of just a neat idea, I think, looking at uh, different segments of uh, the population of Canada and and how they are uh, either prepared for or how uh, they react to various disaster scenarios. So. Have a neat little study. Well, if they want to use Ottawa, the first thing they need to do is kick all the politicians out of there. That'll uh, make us better prepared. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but it, it will it will certainly be interesting to see how not only how these these um, areas respond, but what they do with the data. That's that's probably the yeah. most important part, right? Is what what do we do to to encourage people to be prepared? Or encourage yep. governments to be better equipped to respond to emergencies so that, um, you know, we get back to what we consider normal faster. Although, yeah. who's to say anymore as we're, you know, two years into two weeks of flattening the curve? This is true. And I should also mention uh, it's the, the Red Cross and the University of Waterloo that are holding those focus groups. So. Excellent. That'd so, the biggest pyramid scheme in the world and a public funded agency. Perfect. Yeah. Why not? Perfect storm. But there you go. It's in the news. Now you know. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> so I've got a couple. Uh, the first one's coming from the Financial Post. It's more European at this point, but we all know that things kind of cascade around the world at, at some point. And uh, just basically talking about uh, energy suppliers, more specifically natural gas suppliers, um, collapsing. Basically, um The article basically says record high power and gas prices have crippled energy suppliers worldwide, leaving some running at a loss and causing many to just collapse altogether. Uh, Energy providers are closing down in the UK, Netherlands, Germany, uh, Czech Republic, etc. Reducing choice for customers and scaringly triggering government intervention, which is the last thing we need. But um, obviously it, it mostly affects those companies that sold energy at fixed prices where they are now taking a huge loss. And I understand some of them are trying to come back to their customers and saying, look, yeah, we locked you in at this price, but the price has gone way up and we're going to start losing money and we want you to pay more. And so uh, last count, and this was uh, mid-December, was that uh, more than 40 suppliers have collapsed in the uh, UK. Um one of these suppliers was a, a fairly large one, and they said they would be uh, halting operations in the UK. So, and funny enough, for however, six weeks later, they said they were left with no choice but to shutter their activities, and they uh, closed down. So, 
just something to be aware of if you're uh, locked into a, a fuel price or whatever. Uh, it's it's going to come our way eventually. So, And the uh, second article I have, uh, I touched on it, I believe, two podcasts ago possibly, but uh, the time is coming up now um, in terms of supply chain issues and whatever. Again, um, vaccine mandates for uh, truckers crossing the border is about to kick in. Uh, the dates are basically uh, November, or sorry, uh, January 22nd for Canadian truckers to go into the States. You have to be double vaxxed. Of course, there's that 14-day window. So they've only got a few days left to get their shot. And for uh, the other way, for U.S. truckers to cross the Canadian border, the date is January 15th. So if you don't have your second shot now, you're a foobard. Um, they're again putting estimates anywhere between uh, 15% of the drivers and, and up to 35%. So um, again, we'll, we'll have to see how that plays into the, uh, the whole supply chain issue coming up in the next uh, couple months. Yeah, that's, that's going to add a bit of a snafu into things, I think. Yeah. yeah. All right. Shall we uh, move into what we've done lately for preps? We'll start with you, Jeff. Nothing. <laughs> and I'll be honest about it. That's nothing. Um, you know, with uh, the holiday season and just trying to get stuff done for the snowmobile club and all that, I uh, would like to say that I was fairly prepared for uh, for the winter season with all my, my firewood and my generators. Been, uh, I've done stuff with that, so I, I really didn't have much to do in the last couple of weeks. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, for myself, same thing. It has been a crazy couple of weeks. Um, my absence, obviously, for the last, I think, two episodes, uh, mainly work-related. Uh, then with uh, Christmas and New Year's and all that other fun kind of stuff going on, it has been uh, just a whirlwind of a couple of weeks. Um, I did manage to carve out a little bit of time to get uh, my portable HF uh, set up all dialed in and operating. I know, strange for me doing comms work for my preps, but uh, hey, that's the way it is. Uh, so, uh, took a couple of, a couple of tries to get things up and rolling, uh, got a little bit of help from the local ham club here. And, uh, now I've got a full portable HF station and I've been, uh, testing it out on parks on the air, which is, uh, basically a nerdy thing where you go to a provincial park or a designated park of some sort, set your station up and, uh, start calling out for other stations and, uh, they all call you. And, uh, I, I got it all dialed in and made 66 contacts today with it all around uh, North America. So it was, uh kind of neat i'll take my propeller hat off now yeah good call <laughs> i mean three three more and it would have been a real story oh, yeah uh, i know but hey it is what it is i tried i tried i uh, i also didn't do a whole ton of uh a whole ton of anything this uh last couple of weeks i did however make some progress in the wiring of my garage i have two nice. more uh two more runs to pull across the ceiling and i'll be ready to uh get my electrical inspected and have uh, start insulating and drywalling. So it's, uh, nice. it's been a slow, slow project, but we're getting there. Yeah. All building and renovations are always slow. Absolutely. They always take longer than we thought. And um, <laughs> I started a new job in the last couple of weeks. So that's, uh, that's taking a lot of my attention as well as, yep. you know, just not wanting to do it. So there we go. All right. Fair enough. Well, with that, how about uh, we get into the main topic? 
and uh, we'll get uh, Alex talking here because he's been uh, hanging out, listening to us gabber on for a bit. And uh, how about we start out with you just telling us a little bit about yourself, Alex? All right. Well, uh, I'm, a, I'm a homesteader. I, I guess that would be my classification and a prepper. I prep more along the lines of permaculture, long-term self-sustainability, as well as some of the more tinfoil hat-related uh, uh, topics. But uh, yeah, that's, that's what I do. Uh, we're a big family, uh, five kids, uh, three of them with autism. So we're, we, uh, a few years ago, we're like, the city was just unsustainable for us. It was too expensive. Uh, we were just always just trying to stay, uh, stay afloat, paycheck to paycheck. So we said to hell with it, sold everything, bought, a, bought three acres out in the middle of nowhere and started a small farm. Oh, very nice. Yeah, from from the city to three acres is is quite the change. We uh, our timing was immaculate. We moved December twenty seventh, two thousand and nineteen. <laughs> Look at that! <laughs> People thought we were crazy. They're like, "You're never going to make it. Why would you move all the way out there?" Boom, March. Uh, I believe it was Friday, the yep. March the thirteenth or whatever. And I'm like, "Who's laughing now?" Yeah. Look where we are. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, so how exactly did you get in the prepping and, and or homesteading? Um, well, homesteading was more of a, like, we tried to do the urban homestead growing, you know, growing as much produce as we could in a small, you know, uh, suburban backyard, mm-hmm. uh, because we're just, we're seven people. It's a lot of food. Food's expensive yeah. more so nowadays than it was then. But, uh, prepping, uh, I think it would have been, uh, Fall 2018, we had a tornado, a few tornadoes come through the Eastern Ontario region and knocked power out for us for, uh, we were without power for about four days and I had to get creative. Obviously you can't have a generator in suburbia. And, uh, so I, you can, but the people will complain a hundred percent. No, they, uh, so uh, we had to get creative and, uh, with cooking our food, luckily I'm a charcoal barbecue kind of guy. So I was out there like cooking frozen pizzas on a charcoal barbecue and, (laughs) You know, whatever, you know, whatever I could get going out there. And I was just like, you know what? Uh, we can't have this happen again. You know, luckily, you know, in, in suburbia, you're on gas. So you're going to have heat at the very least, you know? Yep. And, uh, but I was just like, this isn't going to happen again. And we started getting a little more serious with being prepared, at least in the short term. Nice. So yeah, like oh. a confluence of things brought us here. Yeah. Yeah, old mishmash. It's a pretty standard story for for most of us that get into this kind of realm. Is it's a, a mishmash of everything that kind of draws you in, and then uh, down the rabbit hole you go, and then all of a sudden oh, you're on three acres. Yeah, no, it's paid it's paid dividends. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had that massive windstorm and yep. uh, knocked power out for us out here, and it was real wet, so our sub pump was going nonstop. And I just plugged the the generator in outside, and I have one of them. Uh, generator panels so i can just shut off yep. from the grid and run half my house off a generator nice so i was Very laughing handy. yep and uh you said in your intro you're you're into woodworking as well what do you build what do you make i'm a, I'm a house framer i'm carpentry okay. on the, the larger scale i frame houses oh right on and i do a lot of bushcraft construction out here Very cool. awesome all right uh so and which then- uh which did you get into first was it livestock or was it gardening well, we were, uh, we were, I really didn't speak too much about gardening with, uh, with Ian as we prepped for this episode. Yeah. Hi, Ian. How you doing? Glad <laughs> to see not, you. He's not here. He decided I, to touch you. Yeah. Uh, but mostly I was prepared for livestock. We can talk about some gardening if you want. Oh, no, sure. Yeah. It, whatever it is you're comfortable talking about, let's, uh, let's get into it. You want to do livestock? Well, we can, uh, yeah. Let's sure. Let's start, start with Ian livestock. Ian really wanted to hear about the goats. Oh, yes. He did say, he's like, we've already. 
and 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 what they like to listen to at night is it smooth jazz or is it more like classic rock? How do you how do you set the mood for them? Well, they have howling dogs. Uh, that's that's the the only mood uh, mood music they're getting at night. So yeah, I guess I'll tell you. I have uh, I have goats, chickens, ducks, rabbits, and uh, guardian dogs. So uh, we've kind of settled on those for now. And obviously, I do my meat chickens and my uh, my meat ducks and meat turkeys in you know in in cycles. But long term long term animals: uh, chickens, ducks, rabbits, goats, and dogs. And we just kind of uh, build a. You guys familiar with system stacking? I'm sure. That's what Ex- I explain heard. it to us. Yeah. So system stacking, everything has to have more than one purpose. I'm sure you guys have a lot of those uh, uh, those items lying yeah. around. So when yeah, we absolutely. when we go into something with an animal, it can't just be for well, we're getting an animal to to have the animal, and this is the one purpose that we want to have it for. Because if that purpose fails, then you're just feeding an animal. Especially when you're getting into goats, you're feeding it a lot of hay, and hay's the price of hay has gone up lately, uh, twofold in the last couple of years, because oh. everyone started buying livestock animals. So you have to we uh, so with our goats for instance uh, we bought two weathers and those are boys without uh, wedding tackle anymore so they're pretty much useless but uh, they were cheap and we wanted to see can we handle goats do we like goats and is it worth keeping them alive so uh, you know let's use them as lawn mowers and fertilizer so we just let them loose all over our back acre uh, one of our back acres and they just ate through the bush and cleaned it all up for us fertilized it brought that back from uh, you know from uh, it's called uh, regenerative forestry, so to speak. So we're like, all right, we love goats. Let's get a buck and uh, start from there. So we got a buck and we're like, we keep this guy alive. Is it worth it? And uh, then we got our female. So now we have a breeding pair and the two weathers. And it's kind of like our own little herd of goats. And the, the doe gives us milk uh, after, uh, well, she will be giving us milk when she, after she gives birth. And we're in that cycle right now where we've got her and our buck hanging out in the barn together uh, to make some baby goats. Uh, because, you know, that's pretty much where the money is at. If we're talking money, it's in selling kids. Because as you know, selling anything that isn't uh, taxed or government inspected from a farm is highly illegal. So we can't sell them. uh, We can't sell the meat and milk unless we, uh, we go through, we jump through a million loopholes. So uh, that's why we have our goats, milk, uh, meat, and as well, they, they cut our grass. I don't have to run my lawnmower a lot of the time. And that's, uh, that's been a big savings for us. That is an and in the long term. Oh, 100%. We just let them go, and the kids love them. We have mini goats because we have kids, because having a 100-pound animal with horns running around with your children, it's, uh, yeah. you know, you're, you're getting brave at that one. point. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, but it makes know, I, some great YouTube content. It does, and goats <laughs> are the devil. Yeah, goats are the devil. Um, the first two, the greatest advice for goats that I got was, if you want a fence to hold a goat, it better hold water. Oh, okay. Because right. goats are escape artists. They are. They are not for the. I wouldn't recommend someone just starting homesteading and then starting out with goats. Like it is, you know, they're pretty simple. They eat anything and they need fresh water, but you're getting into keeping them contained and they can get out of virtually anywhere. It's, it's no joke. You, oh, 100%. They're climbers. They live on mountains. Uh, we have uh, there are African pygmy goats that live in trees. Oh. So, yeah. yeah goats, you've, you've seen mountain goats climbing up a sheer rock face that you wouldn't attempt without a harness. So, goats will get out of virtually anywhere. So, they're, uh, 
they're a threefold for us, meat, milk, and uh, we also have two of our goats are what's called pygora. So they're an angora goat that was mixed with a pygmy. So if we get their, if we get them sheared early enough, uh, early enough in the year, uh, their their wool is actually worth quite a pretty penny to people who uh, who who uh, make their own textiles. So when you're talking about system stacking, you've got both the like the renewable resources of like what those goats provide, both for yourself and you can get rid of the wool, as well as eventually they become food. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I wouldn't eat my buck because he's. Uh, when you talk about gamey uh, meat, uh, an older buck that's bred a few times, or you know, you, you've smelled that goat, that musky goat smell. Well, yeah, that'll get. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not pleasant to eat. I, I believe. So that. if you're gonna if if you're gonna be doing meat goats, it's a lot more bacon than it's worthwhile. hundred <laughs> percent. Like if you're hungry, by all means. You know, but as uh, as I've spoken to a few of the farmers in my my area where I go to, you know, when I need help with dealing with situations, uh, yeah, they tell me get them done young because once they uh, once they start to stink, it, uh, it it taints the meat up a little bit. Okay, but yeah, it's it's renewable. So we got every year we uh, when I empty out my barn, uh, my my neighbor just brings his tractor over and I fill his bucket up with it and he hands me a stack of gash and walks off with uh, with the manure the the straw manure and spreads it on his field. He takes everything I have from me that I don't use chicken duck goat rabbit uh, whatever. Hmm. So it's uh, it's not piling up on me and uh, I actually turn manure into a profit. Interesting. Yeah, with the exception of rabbit, all manures have to be broken, have to be composted down, right? Because they're, right. as you'd say, like radioactive is the term I like to use. If you threw uh, fresh chicken manure on a garden, it would burn your plants. Absolutely. Quite severely. So, yeah, and uh, so first off, we got chickens. So we got into our chickens. I won't spend too much time on chickens because I know you guys have uh, you've dealt with that a lot. Uh, we we're like, you know what, first livestock, let's get into chickens and let's get ourselves a dozen and that's where we'll stay. Yep. And uh, then chicken math happened. <laughs> and uh, now I have 50 chickens outside that I'm feeding wow. through the winter. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm of the mind we should downsize our flock come winter, but uh, my kids have named them. Ooh. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not for naming your livestock animals, but uh, yep. I've been overruled. <laughs> Fair enough. It happens. So, are these, these are these are egg chickens? These are meat birds? These are both? Oh uh, no! So, I only have uh, I have my egg chickens year round. I do a variety. I like just barnyard mix. I'm not of the mind that you should buy unless you're breeding chickens to to sell like show chickens, like high, like good bloodlines. Uh, I just buy barnyard mix eggs and hatch them out myself. I, I feel like I get a better egg and uh, you know just a a bird that's more. Uh, how should how, what would be the a better quality bird. I'm not, it's not susceptible to, uh, you know, it's a mixed bird. When you mix the right. genetics up, you know, you never know what you're going to get. And oftentimes I've had a lot better luck with those than hatching out pure, uh, purebred eggs. It's a little bit hardier. So, for the yeah, a little bit hardier. I like, and it's, and it's more fun. You never, there's some weird looking chickens, let me tell you. And, uh, yeah, but yeah, I do the meat birds. I do those three times yeah. a year and run in runs of 50. Uh, cause, uh, you know, uh, my family, we have it budgeted out for uh, two chickens a week for the course of 52 weeks. So I have to raise at least 104 birds every year just for us. Okay. And then uh, and then I'll raise another 50 or 60 that I'll have processed professionally that I can then sell. So in the end, I'm pretty much cost neutral on raising my own meat. Hmm. Oh. So 
Yeah, no, it's uh, you, um, I found out the hard way the first year that when I had them all professionally processed and then kept them for myself, I paid a significant, uh, paid a lot more. You're paying like five fifty, six dollars a bird on top of what it costs per feed, and then you're you know, and then you have to pay the tax on top of that, and so uh, I uh, I process I process my own birds for my family. So the hundred and four we need, we process them here at home over the course of the year, and then the other ones I send to the processor to offset the cost on that. And of course, chicken manure is great for vegetable gardens after you've composted it down. So we have a, when we empty it, we only clean our chicken coop three, four times a year and uh, just have a big old pile of that composting down. And then next year we, we throw it in, till it into the garden and uh, away we go. Huh. Yeah, plus, I, I haven't paid for an egg in two years. Nice. And farm eggs are always better than store eggs, no matter what. 100%. 100%. No, it's, it was, uh, it was, uh, I got a lot of people into uh, free range uh, poultry eggs because I free range them. They just run around my property. There's chickens everywhere. They're just everywhere. And uh, so I had people coming out through the pandemic to buy the, uh, the fresh eggs from me. They're, they're like, oh, we feel safer than being in a grocery store anyway, coming out here. And like, I'm out there. I'm, you know, 45 minutes outside of Ottawa. So they come in, uh, come in for out from the city to buy the eggs, buy the you know buy the meat that I had processed. They're like, we're willing to pay more, you know, if it's uh, if it's a higher quality. And I love the uh, the look on someone's face when they tell me like, oh my god, it really was different. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, and until and until you've experienced both, you don't know, right? A hundred percent. And I was a little weirded out eating my first chicken egg. Like the first, the, yeah. the you know, like I was looking that. at them, like, is it going to be, is it going to be different? Is it going to be safe? And uh, psychologically, you have to get over that, uh, that grocery store mentality. Absolutely. You know, and then from chickens, it went to, uh, well, we got a couple of ducks. My wife loves the ducks. I'm not really going to say much as to the value of a duck on the homestead. They are good pest control if you have orchards. You know, if you're dealing with snail and slug, they can't drown. But uh, we mostly keep, uh, like a duck egg makes a, a mean fried sandwich, uh, mean fried egg sandwich, don't get me wrong. It's a little weird scrambled, but uh, mostly we keep our ducks because my wife loves them. And, uh, and if my wife's happy, I'm alive. <laughs> but, you know, they, do, uh, they are fun, and, uh, and they, they do lay a nice egg. I, I'll give them that. But as far as, you know, meat ducks or uh, you have to raise a duck for a little bit longer than a meat chicken. Like a meat chicken, eight weeks, and it's in your freezer. Okay. You know, so... Uh, meat ducks uh, longer than that because you have to get them up to size to make it worth worth your time and effort to, to raise the animal, right? So ducks are, in my, in my opinion, pretty useless unless you have an orchard and you need some pest control or you're farming ducks specifically. But, uh, yeah, no, we just, we just do that for fun, and they're loud and obnoxious, and my wife likes to go out and talk to them and feed them. We tried, <laughs> we tried, geese, uh, we tried uh, having a pair of geese for a while, and that did not work out. Did not work out. Don't get geese. Not a fan. Don't get don't get geese. All right, good. good to don't know. get geese. If you want to talk about loud and obnoxious geese, or <laughs> geese, even in the country, geese will piss off your neighbors. <laughs> All right. So you got a question but, in the live chat about uh, about breeding. So, are, like, do you selectively breed for traits, or is it catch as catch can, or do you rotate your stock through? 100% I rotate my roosters through. We don't keep roosters for very long because, uh, well, if we have an aggressive, so we hatch out all our own birds, so we really won't know what we're going to get until, you know, especially with barnyard mixes, it's hard to see those traits and specific breeds that'll tell you hen or pullet or cockerel right off the bat early on. Mm -hmm. 
So we will uh, we'll rotate our roosters through. We'll keep our, our ladies, and we let them live out their lives as spent hens because, uh, you know, they, they'll die – They'll die off on their own or, you know, they'll wander off uh, or they're just, they're just fun pets. But we definitely rotate our roosters through. And anytime we have an aggressive rooster, it's to the stew pot. I don't keep those and I don't keep a rooster long, longer than about nine, ten months. Just to, because they are, I like to uh, compare and please don't read into this, but I like to compare roosters to frat boys, American <laughs> frat boys. They literally jump on anything all the time and you got to keep that uh i'm of the mind you got to keep that gene pool fresh you shouldn't have uh dads uh, jumping on you know <laughs> jumping on family members as it were but yeah no it's good to rotate your roosters through and if you keep you you can keep your ladies for as long as you want if you're emotionally attached to them keep them as spent hens and let them live out their lives but uh yeah i like to mix they're it in they're a loved one you're with kind of kind of animal <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's uh, it's it's pretty it's a pretty savage world out there in that chicken run. It's uh, no holds barred. Right now, it's uh, right now they're pretty laid back because it's too cold. They're not doing much other than eating and and trying to stay warm. Okay, and uh, I guess that's a, a question. So, what uh, you know, obviously, if you said you're near Ottawa, you're um, they're in a pretty cold climate there. How do you how do you keep your uh, your livestock live through that? How do I keep them live? Uh, well, it's a lot, the main, the biggest risk in the winter, obviously everyone thinks it's cold. No, it's, it's wind. It's okay. wind. And, uh, for chickens, at least it's, uh, keeping them out of the wind and keeping them out of condensation and keeping them with fresh water. Fresh water is the biggest pain in the ass in the winter. You have, if, uh, if you have livestock, you have spent your time out there busting ice out of the goat bowls in the barn, uh, or the dog bowls. You're just trying to keep them with fresh water as an uphill battle all winter. That's the biggest uh, pain in the ass. Uh, but as far as keep keeping them warm with the chickens, uh, uh, I I thought early on you had to insulate your coops, and I found out big mistake because if in, with insulation, uh, if cold air gets in there and it's warm, and then it creates condensation, that's where you get the uh, the frostbite on their combs, wattles, and their feet. So condensation is the uh, the enemy of chickens during the winter, not necessarily the cold temperatures. So and as far as and as far as goats, just keep them out of the wind and. Uh, you know, feed them. Literally, I just my I, I just throw out a bale of hay for them when they when they run out and keep their water fresh, and they're happy. Well, they, so if you put up a windbreak, will they go for it naturally, or do you have to herd them into a, a safer area? Uh, initially, you kind of have to like they're food motivated, so the easiest way to do it is to just put food there, and they'll wander on over, and they'll be like, "Oh, look at that, magical!" I feel that so deeply. Yeah, no, they're they're so food motivated. It is it's really easy to get a goat to 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 go where you want it to go if uh, if you have a bucket of grain. They know that bucket of grain, and if they don't, it doesn't take them very long to figure it out. So okay. yeah, I just use I just use food, and uh, during the winter though, I keep them mostly locked up in the barn. There's uh, you know unless it's uh, unless it's a really nice day out, I just uh, I leave them in the barn. We got a nice sized barn. Open up a couple of windows to let some air flow in. And they're happy in the straw. As long as I keep it clean and dry, they're, uh, they're, they're, I much prefer to keep them in the barn over the winter. But it's fine to let them out. They're, they're, they're hardy animals. They grow quite the, quite the wool over the, the fall to, to prep for winter. Like, so they're, they're hardy. They can get out there as long as you give them somewhere that they can get out of the wind, like a three-sided shelter and a goat's fine. Okay. You know, I have many goats, so you also, we keep them locked in the barn Obviously, we keep predators out of the way because there are the odd black bear out my way. We got coyotes, foxes, 
which is why I have guardian dogs. So it's uh, you gotta you gotta find the uh, the right mix of keeping them alive, especially in the winter. So you have not you have not only uh, not only the the weather to deal with, but also the the other things that are trying to survive and uh, yeah, it's small it's uh, need protection. Yeah, no, uh, the first year we went into this, so like I said, we moved here in the winter, and I thought I was prepared because I'd done research and that I'd prepared myself with, with written uh, material and you know spent a lot of time on YouTube falling down that hole with other homesteaders and preppers and things like that. But it's, it's, it's really an experience-based game here. Like you, you figure out you lose an animal, you figure out why, how you lost that animal, and you gotta, you got to fix the situation. And if you don't fix it, obviously you're going to run into problems. And that's, uh, that's been a lot of homesteaders, uh, upstart homesteaders over the last couple of years have found that out the hard way that, uh, you gotta, it's worse. Reason, the winter, reason, the winter is work. And not, uh, not name your, not name your livestock. Um, nope. so speaking of work, <laughs> are you able to, are you able to leave the farm or are you just, are you just kind of stuck there or oh. is that, is that the goal is just to just be stuck there? Uh, the goal is eventually to be stuck here. But, uh, no, I have, my wife's a stay-at-home mom. Like I said, uh, one of our uh, three of my kids are autistic. One of them has uh, global de developmental delay and some physical disabilities as well. So someone's always here. Uh, you know, that's one of the drawbacks. That is one of the drawbacks of having a homestead or a farm is someone's always got to be here with the animals. You know, sure, you can leave for the day, but you got to be back before dark and you got to, you know, you got to make sure that you got food and water out there, all those things like that. But someone's always got to be here. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You know, if uh, like you invest a lot of time and money into these animals, and one of them gets hurt, uh, you got to be got to be able to react to that, get them to the vet, so, you know, or you know, do some home care if that's what what's needed. You know. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's the winter is tough. You think it? Uh, I look forward to it because I don't have to water the garden, but uh, <laughs> I got to water the animals, and that's more of a pain in the ass. Fewer flies and ticks, right? Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. No, the, the ticks actually weren't bad this year. I only yeah. pulled off two off one of my dogs and that was it. Like not on the goats. Uh, like I, I didn't see any, you know, so it was, it was pretty nice, but yeah, the flies are bad. And if you have animals, you have manure and that means you have flies. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. You can keep it. You could try and keep it spick and span. It's it. You're going to have flies. That's the end of that's the end of that discussion. There's no way to really yeah. be rid of them altogether. <laughs> That's true. We've got another question in the live chat here from uh, Darius just asking, do you do a lot of your own veterinary care? Uh, early on, no, because I wasn't ready. Like I thought I was ready and we, you know, we'd call the vet if it was a minor thing, but now we have, we have our own, you have a first aid kit in your house. We have an animal first aid kit uh, ready to roll and we have to decide pretty early. Like when you start treating an animal, you have to decide early on, is it worth treating or is this, you know, a situation where you have to put the animal down? And, uh, so you, you have to, it's a little bit of touch. Yeah. So like cuts, scrapes, things like that. We, we can handle, like we remove, uh, like I'll remove ticks from my dogs. Well, if, uh, chickens, uh, pluck each other up or they get a gash wound or something like that, we'll, we'll heal that up. Uh, we deal with bumblefoot. We'll deal with, uh, you know, any number of things we will deal with ourselves. But if it's at the point where you uh, you're not sure what's going on or the animal's acting very oddly, you you take them to the vet. Mm -hmm. But as much uh, you know, it's expensive. So as much as you can learn on the on the, the smaller side of things to do yourself, the the, the better your bank account's going to be. That's for sure. And the more experience you get. Yeah, fair enough. So as much to answer that, as much veterinary can as we can do, we do do. Uh, that's within our within our knowledge uh, parameters. Mm 
Gotcha. But if it uh, if the situation calls for it, off to the vet you go. Yeah, or or off to the chopping block. Either or, or. the chopping block. Yep. Fair you know, <laughs> that was uh, that was the the hardest lesson of getting animals. The first animal you have to put down doesn't matter if it's a chicken or you know a goat or whatever. The first animal you put down, it's you don't forget that, and you yeah. have to be mentally prepared for that because it's 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 rough. And if you enjoy, if you find someone who enjoys putting down animals, uh, ask some questions. <laughs> yeah, you probably don't want them in your mutual assistance group. Yeah. No, hundred percent, hundred percent not. <laughs> so, no, so your barn, you said, yep. keep keeps them locked up. Is it heated? No, no, I'm uh, no. Uh, that would be that would mean running an extension cord or getting a permit and having Hydro One come out and run a line and just not not interested there. No, uh, that. So what we did is it's raised up off the ground on pillars. So I just uh, do a wrap around plywood underneath to keep the wind from running underneath the barn, and then we do deep straw bedding. And uh, those goats are uh, those goats are nice and toasty, warm in there, out of the wind. And uh, yeah, no, there's enough deep bedding that'll start to uh, uh, before you get to cleaning it. Deep bedding. So how that works is it'll uh, start to decompose, and you turn it, and then add fresh bedding. Especially with chickens, you add fresh bedding, and as something composts, it releases heat. Right. Right. Yep. So you use deep bedding to, to kind of keep the goats warm themselves. But yeah, no, it's uh. It's more a matter of getting the right combo, letting some fresh air breeze through there, so that uh, the smell won't uh, won't bother you for bother them too much. Because okay. during the winter, you clean the barn. So there's there's no need for carbon monoxide detectors then. Uh, <laughs> there it is. I want to call it thirty-seven thirty. Yeah, no. <laughs> I have learned more about carbon monoxide detectors from this <laughs> podcast joke than I have in real life. For the record, that was not my question. That was Kyle, and he's prompting his own stats now. Kyle prompted that. Oh, there that, it is. Uh, there it is. Uh, almost, almost four minutes ago. So, yeah, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> and we can't yeah, even true. ask where that counts because Kyle does all the counting, so he's going to yeah, say Kyle yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> one half dozen of the other. <laughs> all right, that's interesting. Well, it's probably also a, a significant fire hazard if it's deep bedding too, so you wouldn't want uh, wouldn't want anything. Yeah, bedding. no, and like uh, I've learned that uh, you can cause static fires from green hay that you've stored. Like uh, you know, it was that was that was a learning experience when the farmer told me that. So yeah, we've had to get creative. Uh, you know, you got to make sure that uh, uh, when you're looking at fire hazards, like I used to keep my straw and hay in my garage, and I I, I uh, one of the local farmers. Yeah, one of the local farmers rolled by and saw that, and they're like, "You can't do that. That's a that's a right quick way to get to, to set your house on fire." So we went out and got a Gatineau garage, and uh, that became our hay and straw storage uh, short term. But yeah, no, they, they we thought like for instance, our rabbits last year we brought them inside the in the inside the garage, and I built a built some pens in there because I thought they wanted uh, they needed the warmth. You couldn't have a rabbit outside, and uh, turns out they kind of like the cold. As long as you give them a, a house that they can walk into and get out of the the wind, and keep them out of the rain, they like being outside. <laughs> I, w- I was uh, shocked by that. Rabbit care in the winter is fairly easy as long as you keep them uh, with clean water, well, fresh water, because it'll freeze right quick. Right. But yeah, That's no. Uh, people ask me all the time when they they come out and they're they're like interested in getting into homesteading, so to speak. Uh, you know where they should start, and I always tell them chicken and rabbits. Chicken and rabbits. Chicken and rabbits. All right. And rabbits. Would, you with, would you would you start with uh, with egg chickens or meat chickens or 
Oh, egg chickens, 100%. Egg chickens. Yeah, like, egg chickens are where I would start to get a feel because if you're not comfortable, if, if you find it's too much work to feed egg chickens uh, once a day and keep them with fresh water, you know, obviously during the, the, the winter, more work. But during the spring and summer and fall, chickens are pretty, pretty self-caring. You just make sure they have fresh water and feed and you let them do their thing. But so I tell people egg chickens and rabbits because rabbits, as far as bang for buck, you know, is if you're if you're spending your own money to, you know, you're buying all your feed from the feed store and you're, you know, you're getting that hutch or whatever. As far as, uh, you know, weight ratio, uh, rabbits is bang for buck, the uh, the least expensive, I would say, in my experience. Okay. And plus rabbits they're, are. They're, they, they propagate pretty quickly, too. Right. So it doesn't take a lot of rabbits to get a lot of rabbits. No, no, uh, that that expression uh, that that we all know so very well is very true, very very true. So uh, we started out with a pair of breeders. I went uh, and I went to a local rabbit breeder and I bought unrelated buck and an unrelated doe. That's very the unrelated part uh, when you're starting out. Very important. Okay. And uh, yeah, no, we uh, so we raised them up and uh, we wanted them to be of a good size before. Uh, so I have New Zealand, California cross rabbits, and that's uh, that's pretty much your standard meat rabbit. It, they get to a good size; they're not gigantic, but like the meat to, to bone structure ratio is really good. Like we got a good, we got about eight nine pounds cleaned off each one of our rabbits that we did at five months old, which was a which was a nice haul. So uh, yeah, we have two breeding pairs now. Uh, so we kept one doe out of our first litter of rabbits. Uh, the, we liked her color because we obviously we keep the we keep the fur and tan the hides. Okay. And uh, so we we liked her. She was a white rabbit with some gray uh, gray shadowing on her face. And then we went out. And we bought another uh, unrelated buck from somebody else. So realistically, like on average, like so, my, our our litters are on average about 10, 10 bunnies, and then a couple. You know, you'll lose a runt or two early on. So on average, we get about eight viable rabbits out of every batch that we breed that will go to term for either we sell it as a pet or as a breeder to somebody else, or we take it right to meat. And okay. uh, it doesn't cost a whole lot. Rabbits will eat literally anything. You don't want to buy feed. Uh, like, well, like if I was out of, uh, if I ran out of feed and I didn't want to run to the feed store, I just go cut down a few branches of cedar, take some leaves off the tree, go cut some grass, hit the vegetable garden, get some cucumber and some shard. And you can just feed them naturally. Cause you know, you have to think about what would it be eating if you didn't have it in a cage. Huh. And it'd be eating grass. Ground, right? Yeah, yeah. T take it right back to Peter Rabbit and uh, Miss uh, and uh, Farmer, whatever his name's garden. They'll eat. They'll eat. They love them vegetables. So during the spring, summer, and fall, real easy to feed a rabbit. You don't have to spend a dime. How are if they you don't want to? <laughs> they, they'll enjoy the odd carrot. Uh, their, their favorite, though, would be, uh, at least in my experience, my rabbits like strawberries a lot. Yeah, interesting. Strawberries. So, yeah, so we'll, de we'll dehydrate berries over the course of the year, and we'll use that as rabbit feed, especially when, she's, uh, uh, when our does are pregnant. We like to feed them a lot of good, healthy, uh, mm -hmm. as much, like, don't get me wrong, uh, a nice rabbit feed from the, the feed store, perfectly healthy for your rabbit, and it's, uh, it's everything they need. When she's pregnant or she's just given birth, we like to up the uh, the uh, the feed with you know dried berries, or we'll, we'll get a banana, a fresh banana. We'll you know we'll buy some lettuce from the grocery store if we need to. If that if we're you know if it's this time of year, you can't get your hands on fresh greens. And obviously, you still got cedar clippings everywhere this time of year too. Mm -hmm. We'll literally feed them anything, and they'll eat it. So rabbits bang for buck, and they're very easy to keep alive.
very rabbits. very easy to keep them. Yeah, rabbits. If you if you, yeah if you, if you're in a in a, you know it's hitting the fan situation, rab and you have to pick one animal. I would pick rabbits. Okay. Because uh, like you said, they pro yeah they propagate so quickly, and and they're easy to feed. Like I said, you, you know if the feed store is on. If the feed store no longer exists, you can feed a rabbit very easily. Whereas a chicken, you have to get a little more creative with it. Okay. Like without without good source of feed, raising chickens is pretty hard. You know, you gotta, you know, you can feed them produce. The chickens will eat anything. If you fall, it's a sickening to say, but if you fall dead in your chicken coop, they'll eat you. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's 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 true. That's also true of most animals, right? They'll um, they eat what's available and what's easy. Yeah, no. So chickens, like I said, uh, you can you got to get creative with chickens because they need to get the right amount of protein, calcium, you know, crude proteins, things like that. Because if you don't have enough calcium in your chicken's diet, the eggs are going to be flimsy and soft. Jelly eggs, as we call them, or soft-shelled eggs, where you just pick them up, set them down, and they crack. It's, it's pretty useless. You know, and not, like uh, the health of a good, healthy chicken egg is a nice hard egg. Okay. So yeah, and if if you, if you have to pick one, it's rabbits. Okay. Good to know. That's, that's good. That's a great place to start then. Yeah. Uh, Kyle in the live chat there on YouTube is asking if there are any uh, ideas for keeping the chicken water from freezing. So you're, you're feeding your feeding your livestock in the winter. Uh, well, you can get uh, those heated waters. You know, you plug it into an extension cord uh, and, uh, and then, you know, run, just keep the power running. I'm wary of running power in my chicken coop because there is so much straw. Now, you know, and it is very dry in there, so I don't run power. Uh, most people, uh, you can you just change it frequently. You have to go out there. I use those rubber, uh, those uh, that very pliable black rubber feed bucket style. I use those for my watering bowls. And uh, one trick that kind of works for me is I'll take two liter bottles of uh, like a two liter bottle, fill it with water, and then make it saltier than uh, you know, just fill it, make it the saltiest water you can possibly think of. Salt water won't freeze, right? Okay. And you put that in there, and it kind of keeps the water around the bottle uh, somewhat thawed. So at least if you got to like there might the access to fresh water will be longer. And if you got to go out there and break the ice off, it's a little bit easier than trying to break okay. through a solid block of ice. So yeah, if you uh, it's there's no real way other than a heated waterer, and uh, but that two liter bottle of uh, of salt water is, is what I do to try and buy myself a little bit more time for, mm. instead of having to go out there every hour or two to change it. Oh, good to know. I also keep my chicken run right beside my house. So it's a matter of just going outside dealing with it and coming back in That's <laughs> location. Yeah. Location is important for sure. Especially when you truck in water in the winter. Absolutely. Uh, Darius is asking, is it true that you can't survive on rabbits alone? Uh, I was always told it's called rabbit starvation. There's, there's not enough of specific minerals in there. But what's uh, uh, you, what's your opinion on that? I, I have also heard that, that it's not nutritious enough. But as far as just calories, you, you know, as far as just a meat product, I, I, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that if it's nutritious enough, enough to live off it long term as the only thing you're eating. I imagine if you only eat one thing all the time uh, that it would – it wouldn't be good for you anyway. Like if I just ate chicken breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I, uh, you know, I, I don't know what would happen. But as for, uh, the, the easy answer is don't know. Don't know, but it is calories, and uh, they grow pretty quick. All right, if we can uh, spin back to uh, the first aid stuff for a second. 
Um, Freya's got a question in regards to uh, what, what would you say is your most frequently used first aid item for your animals uh, that you would not want to go without? Quick stop powder. So uh, chickens will, so chickens, if you, if, if a chicken has a wound, you must remove it from your flock immediately because chickens will s s smell that blood or go after that blood and they will peck that chicken until they're, they're just, they'll just be vicious little predators on that chicken. So when a, when a cut happens on a chicken, uh, there's a powder you can get. I can't remember the brand name that I use. I'll, uh, I'll find that out and I'll message to you. You can put it in the show notes for them. But it's a powder that you sprinkle on and it stops the bleeding. So if you can stop the bleeding and get the chicken removed uh, and start to get that healing uh, going, then you can put that, you don't, you don't have to lose that chicken. You can put it back into your flock. And once it's healed and not bleeding, it's not at risk for, uh, for uh, poaching, I guess, from other chickens. But yeah, I know that quick stop powder. That's the, that's the one. And my tick removal kit for dogs. I would not be, I would not want, not want to have my tick removal kit. Awesome. You Get sea locks or quick or uh, yeah, quick sea locks at uh, quick lot at uh, Rapid Survival. Actually, there you go. Yeah, no, the, the... <laughs> it's uh, they're not bringing it into Canada anymore. Can't get it. Oh, um, that's disappointing. <laughs> Sorry, my my wife does most of the uh, the the first aid shopping there. She uh, well, she does most of the shopping in general. So <laughs> she does the research and buys the stuff, and I just read the instructions and use it there. Read the instructions. Who reads instructions? Ah, <laughs> uh, you got it once in a while. Fair enough. I guess every once in a while, especially when it comes to the uh, the well being of animals, you should read the instructions. A friend of mine is actually watching or listen, uh, watching and listening to this right now. He he's actually he runs my feed store. He's a good buddy of mine. I give him a shout out right now. He just sent Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Uh, well, it's clearly feed and seed in Spencerville, Ontario. But he just sent me. He said Dominion Vet Labs. If anyone's interested, apparently you can get stuff through them. Okay. And I uh, know he's listening and he's like Dominion Vet Labs. He's, if I don't know something, uh, this is, that's where I go. You ask your local feed store. If they don't know, they know someone who does know. Yep. And they can point you. They, they know everybody. If you're, if you're running livestock, get friendly with your local feedstock operator uh, or your feed store operator and uh, you'll, you'll be in a much better position long term. Good then. Oh. Oh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the dogs that you've got on your homestead. What do we uh, oh. look at breed wise? Uh, so I have my male is an Italian Marama sheepdog, and he's about 125, 130 pounds. And my female is a Great Pyrenees, uh, and she's about 90, 95 pounds. And I honestly, the best investment in my homestead I have ever made, without oh. fail. You're always like, I'm always on the, the message boards for chickens and livestock and that on Facebook. And everyone's like, Oh, I've had a predator in my, uh, in my run, or I've lost this predator. How do, how do I keep this predator away? What are the traps? Who do I call? Honestly, get some LGDs, which is a livestock guardian dog. There's a set number. There's a set few breeds that you can use. I like Maremas and great Pyrenees, but you can, you know, there's a, there's a long, long list of them. I have not lost an animal to a predator in two years not a single predator loss. And I run meat chickens, meat turkeys, ducks, chickens, uh, like no fox in the hen house. I've had one fox make a run at my animals and my, uh, my male Grover, uh, he, he ran that fox off and that was it. That's the only time a predator has ever attempted to attack anything on my homestead. Get yourself some guardian dogs. They're better than any electric fence. In this instance, they're better than a gun. 
if you're if you're you know you're hunting fox or coyote like the italian marama sheepdog are obviously they were bred in italy they're said to be about 2000 the breed is about 2000 years old in italy they use them to fight off wolves and bears okay you know so get yourself yeah no and uh, so another thing is is livestock guardian dogs aren't like guard dogs distinction like so you're thinking german shepherd uh you know uh rottweiler doberman pincher uh you can train that dog to follow commands you can and ian will ian will vouch for this as well he has a marama sheepdog too uh they are selective listeners and you have to let them do their own thing that's instinctive for them they want to be they're very flock protective so if you introduce them to your flock of so i keep my marama with my chickens and i keep my uh my uh, great pyrenees with my goats and uh I also had to introduce my my dogs to my children and introduce them as part of the flock because if my, my daughters were to wander out there and my dogs weren't used to them, they would see them as a threat. So right. you, these dogs, are, you can't train them to follow command. Like, I guess you can. Like, you know, Grover is selective hearing. He knows his name, and he knows when I tell him it's time to go to work and, and all those things. But if he wants to run off, he's just going to take off. Like, gotcha. You know, he's just, he's just going to wander, and they'll, they'll, they'll mark their ranges. So the best investment in, in keeping your livestock safe, guardian dogs. And there, there's a, there's, you can find them all over YouTube and uh, online information on different breeds, whatever fits your fancy. I, I swear by the Italian Maremma. Uh, he's big, he's me, uh, he's semi-friendly, and uh, he does a really good job. Oh, good no, so they, just like me. Outside or? Oh, 24-7 outside, and I know some people aren't okay with dogs being outside. But if I let them inside, even right now, they'd be panting by my front door within within 30 minutes wanting to go back out. And they're anxious if they can't be doing their jobs. So I don't agree with people. Like, I'm sure it works out in some cases. I can't speak for anything. But I'm not a fan of people having Great Pyrenees, Maremma, dogs like that as, like, apartment or house or family dogs. So when I breed my dogs, I do it through a vetting process. And if they don't have a farm or an acreage or, like, a purpose for these dogs, I won't sell them. Because they're they're just not gonna they're just not gonna be happy and uh, they're they're meant for they're meant for the job you know yep. like yeah there's, so there's working dogs and there's family pets right and there's a yeah and like you can have a family them. pet that's a guard dog yep you know like you can have a Rottweiler that's a family pet and you can teach him like you can teach him yep. or her to to do all sorts of number of things but like I uh, I'm not worried about anyone uh, raiding my property because yep. my dogs are loose behind fences. Like we have uh, we we have to fence the property. I learned early on because those dogs will take off. They'll come back. They'll never. They won't run off on you. They'll come back unless something happens. But I had to fence my property. But if you step inside that fence line, they know their fence line. They know their job. Yep. If you step on my property and they they they're gonna let you know they they know you're there. Yep. Like so yep. so when I leave and my wife and kids are at home alone. Uh, not too worried about it. Everyone's like, you're not worried about them stealing that out in your driveway. I'm like, they're very committed. If they, if they want to steal that, they can try. Yep. But you're going to meet the dogs. Yep. You're going to meet the dogs. And if the dogs know you, you're safe. If they don't know you, yeah, yeah you know, good luck. Good luck to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. No, they're the best investment in raising livestock. If we're talking, you know, you obviously have to feed them, but you can get creative with making your own dog food. There's a variety of, you can do it with meats and fish and chicken and all kinds of things like that. But uh, if you're going to, it hits the fan and you need home security. Like personally, as we were talking before the show, uh, I'm not allowed to have guns for another few years. Right. For uh, past indiscretions. Yeah. 
So as far as home security goes, uh, those dogs, like I know when someone's here. I, I've never had, I've never been snuck up on out here. Awesome. Right. And uh, do like do you train them? Do they come? Yeah, you, ha- you have. Yeah. No, I like you can you can get trained dogs that are you know you, people are obviously always rehoming livestock because you know they're bringing in a new uh, you know a new genetics or you know the dog's not working out or the animal's not working out so you can get an old, an older dog. And uh, and and reintroduce it into your uh, into into your into your homestead. I'm I'm all for that if you're willing to spend the time. But with like I said, with our special needs kids, we start with puppies. We get them used to them because we we, we specifically got a big breed of dog too. Because if one of my kids is having an episode emotionally uh, with uh, through their autism, they need to be able and they grab that dog. The dog's got to be able to take it without getting upset, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So like if my with my Eddie she falls over and grabs a hold of the dog and she's a she's a heavy girl for uh, for her age uh, and she holds onto that dog Grover can can take the punishment without getting hurt right a, you know and obviously we want him to to know that he's not she's not a threat none of them are a threat yeah. to him yeah, mind you anybody getting hurt yeah yeah no so there's different schools of thought some people get these breeds of dogs uh, it could be a marama could be a, you know in a bruisey or any of these things and they'll just put them out with the animals they'll train them with the animals and they'll leave them out in pasture and feed them no no real interaction with them and that's fine that they're doing their jobs but if you're if you're if you got a family on the farm i advocate for for you know partially making them a family dog you know you know get them used to pets and love and walks and things like that but also make sure they do their jobs yeah Nothing wrong with that. And also, I totally agree. And also, and also, if you bring them in the house, they're they're huge dogs. Like they they take up space and, yep. and they shed quite a bit. <laughs> so you you can bring them in the house if you want, but uh, they're not going to like it. You're not going to like it probably either. Yep. Sure enough. And uh, so, are you going anywhere from here? Are you going to different animals, bigger animals, more animals? Actually, yes. Uh, we're going to be doing some feeder pigs uh, this this coming spring. Uh, I'll be getting those in a couple of months uh, and getting those set going. Uh, I'm going to be doing what's called a pork share with a few friends of mine. So uh, I'll be raising the animals here. Uh, forest uh, forest raising uh, uh, pork. Uh, you can you can look at there's a variety of ways you can raise pork, but I'm going to be doing with electric fences in a forested area of my property, and uh, it'll be pretty much self-contained. They'll help uh, root out that forest, break that forest floor up uh, a bit clean up the, the, the trash uh, trash plants I don't want anymore. And uh, come uh, November, December, we'll have a freezer full of pork and we'll have paid uh, pennies on the dollar compared to what grocery store prices are this year. Fantastic. But yeah, no, I, had to get, I have to get ready for that because infrastructure has to go into place. And the worst mistake you can make as a homesteader with livestock is getting something without the proper infrastructure in place. Because like, you, you, you buy said pigs, those things get loose. Uh, good luck catching them. We had, uh, we, our doling, uh, when I bought my doe goat, uh, we put her down inside of our, our, our fenced area, which our goats are used to an electric fence that the goats are used to. And they know, you know, they know they touch that fence. They're going to get shocked. They don't like it. Uh, but she had never been, uh, introduced to electricity before. And I didn't take this into account. So she, she hit the wire, got spooked, blew through the, like blue, like blew right through it. And it took us 36 hours to catch her. Wow, yeah, and we and the, the 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 actually catching her was a minor miracle. People honestly didn't think we were going to be able to pull it off because, like I said, we're in the, we're bush and farm area out here, and she was gone for a day and a half. We we tracked her through cow pasture, 
Uh, she stayed within a couple of kilometers of our property, but we needed to get that animal back because, uh, well, it's a loss of money, and it's kind of cruel because that animal's not going to survive. The coyotes would have made quick work of her. Right, and yeah. uh, so have that infrastructure in place and, and do, do a little bit of reading. YouTube is great. Don't get me wrong. YouTube is fantastic for learning about how to raise these animals, but you got to do some reading too, you know, whether it's online or you order out some books. you got to do some reading to be prepared for these animals. So, like I said, we tried geese. We weren't really prepared, and it was a nightmare. So we had to we, we had to move on from that, uh, and that, that was most mostly of my doing because I just I just wasn't ready, and uh, and I didn't have the, the the pen in place or the you know and just keeping enough water for them to bathe. It was a nightmare. Have that infrastructure in place, or else you're going to be in for more work than you're ready for. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I think a lot of people don't think everything through they think oh, i'm just going to grab some chickens or i'm just going to grab some rabbits they bring them home and well where do i put them what do i do with them so i think that's solid advice to get the infrastructure set up ready to go and animals second that's- like like if, if you got if it's an emergency situation and you got to make a call we'll make a call and you got to live with it uh, a couple weeks uh, about a month ago one of my neighbors who uh, one of those homesteaders that wasn't ready for it and just jumped right in um uh, didn't even know his dog was pregnant and the dog gave birth outside in the cold and rejected the pups because she just wasn't like it was, it was, it was the worst case scenario. Right. And uh, he calls me up and he's like, can you, can you take these dogs? And I don't know if you've ever uh, weaned, uh, you've whelped dogs before, but uh, they need to be fed constantly and stimulated because they won't go to the bathroom on their own that young and you got to keep them clean and fed. So we tried to keep nine puppies going on our own. And it just, it, it was a no-go. We gave it a shot, but we, like, it literally emergency call. We, we made the call, and it just didn't work out. Yep. We, we, uh, we surrendered the pups to, a, to a, one of the, the Brockville Animal Hospital. was nice enough to just take them in. They don't normally do that, but I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm out of my depth here. We have one puppy that just died, the two that are fading, and uh, we don't have the mother dog. And they're like, yeah, bring them in. Oh, there you go. And that was, uh, you know. You got to make the call, right? Yeah, you, you have to be ready to make the tough call, and you have yep. to be. Death is is something you have to be ready for out here. Yep. And it took a, it took a few a uh, few animal deaths uh, from for us to really appreciate that to get used to that because it, it it does it does take a toll on you. Like as far as meat birds uh, go, you know you, you you process a meat bird. It is what it is. You don't real you don't feel any attachment to that animal. But animals that you feed daily and you know you take care of. Even if you don't name them, you, you start to build a, a bond with it, whether it's emotional or whatever. Or, or some animals I hate, I still feed them. Like there's a rooster we have I absolutely despise, but he still gets fed, you know, and, you know, yep. we, have a love, we have a love-hate relationship. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so if there is one, uh, one piece of advice you could uh, put out to the listeners who are thinking about uh, getting into this, what, uh, what would be you know, your one lesson from the School of Hard Knocks or the, the one thing that you would tell someone getting started? Uh, do it in steps. Don't try and hit the home run. Hit the single and then, you know, and then move on from there. Uh, like I'll use my neighbor for, uh, he's not really, he's, he lives uh, about a kilometer down the road from me. He used to come buy eggs from me. And then he saw what we were doing and he's like, Oh, I can do this. Well, you know, like I, I can do this. And they went ham with, uh, like they, they got into 50, 60 laying chickens. They were getting into hundreds of meat birds. They were getting into geese and they got, like I said, they got into the dogs and he tried to raise a couple of, uh, of dairy bulls that, and that didn't go well. He just, he got overburdened and animals started to die. 
and it just you know he wasn't cruel or mistreating them it's just he wasn't prepared and it was way too much work so go slow and get comfortable because uh, there you're gonna even like i've been at this now for for i guess over two years now and i'm still learning on the fly I'm still uh, reaching for information, uh, researching information. When I come across something I haven't dealt with before, I'm dealing with a new uh, new situation, or I want to try something new. Uh, is, is, is start small and step by step. Don't try and be a fully self-sustaining homestead. The term I use, permaculture, like food forest. You don't want to have. You don't want to try in that first year going to plant your orchard, get your meat chickens, plant your market garden, get your goats, start felling trees for fire. Like do it in steps and be prepared for each steps. Plan ahead. Because you know, prepping, you gotta you gotta plan, and more so with livestock. Because if you're not ready, uh, it, it's gonna hit the it, not, it, it's gonna hit the fan on your homestead or your farm, and it's, you're just gonna lose a ton of money, and you're gonna have wasted a lot of your time and work. So plan ahead and do it in steps. Solid advice. I think so. And 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 don't be afraid of failure. It's not gonna go well. It's, it's yeah. no, we lost, we had a, we previously had a, uh, a female Marema and, uh, one day we just went on the back deck and she's dead. And, uh, we're like, just, just like that. We, uh, we, we took her to the vet and they, uh, they, they did some, uh, some investigating and it turns out she had cancer. We had no idea. So, and it wasn't, it wasn't like it, it wasn't affecting her. We just went out one, uh, one morning and she was dead on the back deck. And that mm-hmm. was like, that was like a huge one. Like that hit us that hit us in the gut and uh we had uh you know you really gotta you know it's gonna go wrong things are gonna go wrong uh you know the 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 fire is gonna catch you're gonna have to deal with it and it's how you react and that's based on prep and plan right right well solid advice well i think that brings us really solidly into our podcast challenge I think it does. How's that for a segue? That was a great segue. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if if livestock is part of your plan overall, start preparing for it. Find out what it is that you need to prepare for the animals that you intend to keep. Uh, Get as many sources as you can. Get as many as many uh, resources, as many things, as many opinions. Find out what works in your area. Find out what doesn't work. Get that ready. Let us know what you've done. You can either get us on uh, at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca, or you can find us on the Discord server. It's true. Is it Discord? Yeah, it's Discord. Yeah, it's Discord. Yep. There we yeah. go. Until, until Brad invited me to Discord, I had no idea what you guys were talking about all those times. The Discord channel was like, what is this, like, uh, you know, back alley cult going on Discord? Like, <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I do enjoy I, the Discord. I do, I do enjoy the Discord channel now, though. Very much. It's very nicely. There's a, there's a great little community forming in there. So I quite enjoy checking it and, and seeing everybody kind of talking and conversing. It's, it's been good to see. Absolutely. Should we move to uh, upcoming events? There may or may not be in Calgary a Maker Fair sponsored by the Calgary Amateur Radio Association. There's a link in the show notes at calgary.makerfair with an e.com. Hopefully that happens. I guess. Time will tell. Time will tell. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Hopefully. Good luck. I want it to happen for you. Everybody in Calgary, go support it. All right, and deal of the week, uh, Paracord on sale, uh, 
eight uh, eight bucks for a hundred feet. So I'll That's, put that um, in the live chat here. Paracord's like ammunition. You can never have too much unless you're trying to swim. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> All right. Uh, anybody with some shout outs? Uh, Alex, if you want to shout out your, uh, your feed store guy again, feel free. Uh, Cleary Feed and Seed, Spencerville, Ontario. Actually, right now, as we were ta- actually talking in the Discord group, right now, uh, food prices going up, time to get your seed. Uh, your, your vegetable seed, your flower seed, whatever. And a lot of feed stores will be uh, selling their, uh, you know, getting rid of last year's stock. Uh, I was, uh, Cleary's was selling 50% off. So I, uh, I loaded up on stuff that I wouldn't normally buy to, to test run this year because it was a good price. Awesome. And just a big thanks to Alex for coming on. We really appreciate it. This was a great, uh, um, a great little chat and a great, uh, a lot of information. Uh, Mike, I hope I hope it was good. I'm I'm anecdotal, uh, and uh, you know what what I do is not necessarily what everyone does or what works for me it doesn't work for everybody else. But uh, you know, I hope uh, if, if someone uh, gets into livestock, something will ring true. I still remember some of the early lessons I I heard and read. Excellent. Well, and that's you know it's uh, again it, it, anecdotal evidence over you know compounded over enough people is is objective. So. Um, Really love hearing that that's what works for you. And uh, if anybody has any more questions, it sounds like we can find you in the Discord server. Uh, 100%. And, uh, yeah, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be able to have you back on at some point and get an update on those uh, on those pigs. Absolutely. Your, love. Sorry. Do you know what your username is on the Discord server for everybody? Uh, I should know this, shouldn't I? Yeah, okay. I think it's S-C-A-N-0033. Okay, yep. I'm pretty sure that's what I use. Yeah, but if you if you have, shoot me your uh, your your livestock questions, if I can't answer them, I'll point you in the direction of someone who can or some information that might help you. Awesome. All right. Well, with that, I will bring uh, episode number 143 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Submit a review. It does help other people find us. And we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we're going live. If you want to get me directly, you can find me at alan at prepperpodcast.ca. That's alan with one L. Or every once in a while, I jump, I jump into the Discord server. True. Jeff, where can we find you? Uh, you can just find me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Somebody on this panel may know where I live and can get me the information. Uh, <laughs> again, uh, I know I didn't say much in this chat. I've been uh, kind of absorbing everything that Alex has been uh, throwing out there. It was a lot of great information. And uh, yeah, it was uh, great to have you here. And you're welcome back anytime. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it. All right. And uh, Alex, you mentioned everybody can find you on the Discord uh, server. Is there anywhere else you'd like them to contact you? Or is that the best spot? Oh, that's the best spot there. Uh, I live in what's uh, the, the Bermuda uh, triangle of cell phone reception. So, uh, fair enough. Yeah. All right. Discord server. It is for Alex. Uh, you can uh, check out rapid survival at rapidsurvival.com and get me there on the live chat. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So thanks for joining us this evening until next time, be prepared, stay safe and keep learning. Mm-hmm.